Welcome to the Japan Longing Club podcast, a podcast for those who long to travel to Japan and appreciate media, games, and real life culture from Japan and the world beyond. We're your hosts, Jared and Randy. Randy, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty swell, Jared. Thanks for asking. How about you? I am doing pretty swell as well. Had a couple of weeks off. How were the last few weeks for you? Oh, pretty good. Nice and relaxing. You know, just uh, doing the regular nerd stuff, playing video games, watching movies, that kind of stuff. Anything in particular stand out that you've been playing or watching? I see you post a lot online about the uh, Steam Deck that you got. (laughs) I can't stop talking about it. I'm sorry. I played a lot of Scarlet Nexus on there. uh, So that was a lot of fun. And I finished the first campaign of that. Since then, I've been playing phoenix wright ace attorney trilogy like the first three for game boy advance uh, mm-hmm. ported to it so that's been good i've only ever finished the first one and before jumping into the second one and third one i figure i should replay the first so i'm making my way through that other than that things i've been watching I just started a rewatch of the thor movies this past weekend so that i can be ready for love and thunder so just watched the first one this past weekend and then going to be watching Avengers sometime on my own this week. And then my husband and I are going to watch uh, Dark World this weekend. So, yeah, I think I'm probably just going to... I'm not sure if I'm going to watch other Avengers movies or if it's just the first one because it's been forever and I haven't seen it in a long time. Hmm. So, yeah, just kind of doing a little bit of rewatch before then. Um, I also started watching Old Enough. Not sure if you've seen that on Netflix, or we think we talked about it before. Oh, we talked about it. We talked about how it could be a show that we watch and talk about on the podcast. Uh, I have not been able to delve into anything in the last few weeks, although that show keeps popping up uh, on social media for <laughs> me. So I definitely still want to check it out. I think I just need to like shut my brain off and watch a few episodes of that. You should. I mean, the episodes are only 10 minutes, so you could make it through pretty quick. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Each episode is only 10 minutes, and it's, you know, just a, a a small child who's given an errand to see if they can do it. And uh, I won't go into details, but it is nice to see that not every child completes it <laughs> to be like, okay, good. There are some that are like us terrible American children who will procrastinate and do something else and not listen to their mom yelling at them. Gotcha. It's <laughs> good to see. Yeah, the clips I've seen of that just seem like the the most precious little <laughs> events distract the kids and they have no clue what they're doing like five seconds later. So <laughs> that's uh, that sounds pretty good. Obviously, that's a subtitled show, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, not sure if they ever dubbed over it, but I'm just watching it in Japanese with subtitles. And the uh, narrator uh, can be pretty sarcastic and funny, too. So it's, uh, it's a good it's a good show, and it's, you know, quick to just watch. And I can't imagine it costs a lot of money for Netflix to do. And if it's a big enough thing that people are talking about it to the point where it's getting referenced in SNL skits, then I'm sure it's doing well enough that maybe they'll just continue to subtitle this series and put it out in, in batches. I hope so. I, I- I have a feeling it might be a little bit better than Love is Blind Japan, which I did watch back mm. around the uh, the Valentine's holiday season or whenever it came out. Um, it came out like around the same time as that second season of Love is Blind on Netflix. Uh, they mm. are wildly 
wildly different shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love is Blind uh, United States edition is very dramatic. You can tell that some of it just seems like cameras placed for the drama. Uh, the Japan edition is very slow. <laughs> and mm. um, <laughs> some of the like ending relationship stuff just happens out of nowhere. It's very interesting. There's a lot of pure honesty at times. And uh, you also question why some couples stayed together <laughs> throughout <laughs> some, most of the show. It was such a different vibe. It was cute, but uh, wow, what a cultural difference. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that would be quite different. It's cool to see that there's actually a difference there and it's not just... The same thing, really. Yeah. But need to compare and contrast. I think I just rather watch old enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you'll have a better, more pure experience <laughs> that way. Yeah. And, you know, not much else has happened in the last few weeks. Uh, my wife and I had a wedding celebration uh, where we were able to get some wedding photos together with family that we were not able to do a few years ago before vaccines were out from for COVID-19. Uh, mm-hmm. So with a lot of that happening, uh, there was just a, just enough time to get out episodes. Let's see, four and five of the Japan Longing Club podcast. Episode four was our standard episode. And then episode five was a special where, you know, we talked about what we had been watching at the time. So that was fun to catch up there. And hopefully everyone's been listening to those episodes. This is now episode six of the Japan Longing Club podcast. And what happens over a few weeks is some news. And I have summarized it right here for everyone in our segment go guy go guy extra extra it is time for the japan longing club shinbun where we talk about the reopening which i still (sighs) love that title (laughs) it's it's good it's long but i like it that way well more just the reopening (laughs) the reopening oh yes you can hashtag it the reopening (laughs) Ooh. Um, some people are using like hashtag Japan travel ban, blah, blah, blah. I'm just wanting to go with the reopening. Um, it's much more of a positive outlook, and I appreciate that. Yeah, because we can't, we've said this before, but we can't change what's happening. Uh, we're not in Japan, <laughs> Japanese politics, so we just go with the flow, it seems. Yeah. But... Uh, so, yeah, lots of news over the last few weeks for the reopening of Japan to tourists. So we'll try to keep it short here and summarize it for everyone. So this is all as of June 10th, which was just a few days ago. Uh, travelers to Japan, they need to take a PCR test up to 72 hours before their departure. And mm-hmm. depending on like which country you're traveling from, uh, you are put into a specific color band. Uh, so you might be in a blue country, a yellow country, or a red country. The color will determine if you need to test upon arrival and quarantine and all that good stuff. There's a list of 98 countries, which I am not going to read out. Um, <laughs> currently, the U.S. is in the blue. Uh, so you don't have to like quarantine once you get there if you test you know, negative for COVID and stuff like that. Um, those That list of countries and everything will change basically probably by the day, who knows. Um, just like a lot mm-hmm. of this is changing really quick. So over the next week or two, uh, things are going to keep changing. But um, it has sent 
a number of travel firms into a whirlwind because of all of the rules. Um, the, mm. <laughs> it basically just has to do with a lack of communication. And there's a lot of procedures and like last minute COVID guidelines that got released. Like, let's say, for example, on a Thursday night and the country was beginning to open up on a Friday morning. Uh, so who knows what that was like for all of these travel firms trying to get tourists to go. I'm sure it was confusing and frustrating. I can only imagine. Uh, but to go over these guidelines and what travel firms are having to deal with, uh, one of them is that it is still required that you have to go with a tour group. It's not as specific as the uh, 50 people who were allowed in as a test as like a monitor tour is what they called it. I think it's actually officially called like a monitor tour. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is different, but there's still a lot of kind of regulations. It's very... Um, very full of rules and kind of like Japanese heavy uh, with some of those things. But uh, so travelers have to apply for a travel visa before going, which is inputted to the Japan's health ministry system. So that's something that travel firms had no clue had to happen. Um, but you, you know, you, this is one of the very clear things on the list that you need to do. Uh, you have to wear masks and take out medical insurance on your own account, um, covering if you get COVID in Japan. It's, uh, like I said, open to tours only, and specifically, the groups of people in a tour have to give consent to comply with trip rules, and if you don't give your consent, well, you might be sent home. Mm-hmm. So that would suck. Tours are going to keep track of where people are going, and even if you've, like, sat on, like, public transit or you sat on a specific seat, like, on a, I don't know, like a train or a bullet train, that's actually recorded, and you used a MySOS app to track like your trip and your health. So you have to like check in at each hotel you go to and kind of say where you are. And if you're feeling sick and stuff like that, the tour guides are trying to keep track of where you are in public transportation so that they can also, if you get sick, you can try to like notify other people who are around you potentially. And yeah, so that's book a trip, apply for a visa, get COVID-19 negative test certificate, Install the MySOS app, buy travel insurance, and then in Japan, show a blue screen on your app at quarantine, and then you can actually have your trip. The blue screen, I guess, is the goal. That's all I've really heard. I don't know what else goes into it, but it's like you're uploading like health certification and uh, negative COVID-19 results and stuff like that to get the blue screen. If you don't have a blue mm-hmm. screen, it's going to be a longer time at the airport, apparently. So. Gotcha. That makes sense. Easy to quick and... Uh, just see at a glance yeah. whether your status is uh, good to go or not. Yeah, and just with like with ev- anything that's ever happened with any news out of Japan and reopening, uh, there's been <laughs> some controversy over some of the steps and regulations and like some of the guidance that was given to restaurants and tourist locations are kind of questionable. I saw some what looked to be like Japan generated like government just like posters that kind of stuff that outlined some best practices like have your tourists sit on this side of the restaurant which just doesn't really make sense it kind of seems to really be separating people and then also like based on comfortability of a business will they allow you in as a traveler etc but that being said we talked about this a little bit before Uh, so evan from packset travel has been doing live streams and he was one of the people who uh, was on the monitor tour 
And um, everything he said made it seem like some of those guidelines were a little bit more lax, like being able to actually go out to a convenience store um, and be able to go out and, and do something a little bit different from the group. Like they were still tracking you, but it was not as intense as maybe a vocal minority is making it seem. So, mm. yeah, just uh, just good to hear some perspective out there from people who have actually done these trips recently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But Randy, do you do you think that this is the time to go to Japan as of June 10th um, with all of the regulations in place? Or would you rather wait until things get a little bit more relaxed? I would absolutely wait. This seems like not a ideal way to enjoy a, a travel situation with the worry of, you know, having to take longer and on your trip getting through the airport or through anything like that or having to quarantine or take out. Uh, extra health insurance just in case you get sick while you're overseas like just i would say just wait that would be my feeling on it yeah there's a really good outline um right on like the the main results for like japan travel it's a government funded site from what i can see and the outlines make it pretty clear for you of what you have to do but it still doesn't have some of the instructions on like what kind of travel insurance should you get just not like a link that I could see that made it easy. But I also didn't Google it. Um, I was just kind of skimming through it. I saw a lot more phone numbers for what happens if you get sick when you're in Japan than I did for just some of like the bullet items of what you need to do. But I'm sure there's mm. more information available. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, um, I'm kind of on the same page as you, Randy, where right now doesn't seem like the best time to go. Although... If there's still like a group tour mentality going through into next year, I may need to change some plans because everything that I have planned was more of a solo or small group travel um, without a guide. But mm -hmm. I'd also be willing to start considering, or I should say, have been considering uh, that PackSet travel group where there are already packages put together and they would assist you with all of those regulatory items, um, taking some of the burden off of you or some of the anxiety you might have of traveling. So, mm, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the main update for now. And as things keep coming through, we'll just bring it on to the podcast here and uh, keep it rolling because stuff does change quickly. And I have a feeling going into the summer, it's going to keep evolving. Right, of course. It's kind of an ever-changing, ever-evolving situation. Yeah. Uh, our next story here is that the Studio Ghibli Park near Nagoya is still on track, but a few locations... Yeah, that's great. But a few locations are delayed um, that are being oh. built within the park. So we did talk recently about the unofficial Ghibli Cafe in Nagoya City and how Ghibli staff had visited it, probably passing through to the park that's nearby. Some news came out recently that three of the attractions at the park are still slated for November of this year for opening, but that two of them are being delayed. So hmm. the ones that are still opening on time are Dundoko Forest, based on My Neighbor Totoro, Hill of Youth, based on Whisper of the Heart, and Ghibli's Grand Warehouse, which is wait, which is based on you know who knows what maybe it's an airplane hangar <laughs> um, <laughs> from Porco Russo yeah probably there's so, a plane there that's all I could come to mind I hope so the delayed sections of the park are Mononoke Village which is based on Princess no! Mononoke I know and uh, which is Valley which is a takes influence from Howl's Moving Castle and Kiki's mm. Delivery Service so. 
Modernoke Village has been moved to fall of 2023, so that's pushing back a year, and which is hmm. Valley to spring of 2024. So the most interesting thing here was the reason why, and it's because that for, uh, at least for Witch's Valley, they're taking inspiration from Kiki's Delivery Service, which was influenced by specific European architecture. And hmm. in true Ghibli fashion, they don't want to just recreate the area. They want to source actual wood materials from Europe to complete the task. <laughs> Sure. So with COVID and how there are like supply and demand issues and stuff, everything's taking a lot longer, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that would uh, definitely affect things. Um, I know that over time, one of the most like highlighted things that gets talked about with Kiki's is the like the city that it takes place in and how European it is and like all of the work that went into the backgrounds and everything. So I can just imagine like what they're trying to accomplish with this section of the park. Right. But Randy, what like section of the park would you think you'd want to visit the most after hearing about these five areas? Um, well, since princess Mononoke was my first movie, I might want to do that unless of course I get attacked by possessed wild boars. That wouldn't be great. Or if I get my arms shot off by an arrow, that wouldn't be great. That would be quite the interactive exhibit, if you ask me. <laughs> that, that would be. <laughs> it's uh, very true to the movie. Uh, oh otherwise, <laughs> uh, Hill of Youth could be good. I did like Whisper of the Heart, so that could be uh, a lot of fun. Very cozy. What about you? Well, I don't know anything about the Grand Warehouse. So I'm it's just going to leave it that way. Keep it a mystery, right? <laughs> but the ones that are going to be open this year, I would be most excited for Hill of Youth because I adore Whisper of the Heart and the young love story that it tells. So mm -hmm. if there's like an antique shop at the top of a hill yes. that I basically am dying from climbing up to or something, um, <laughs> <laughs> or if they force me to ride a bicycle up some hills or something just to get up there and see a violin being played or just see like a statue of the Baron or something in like a shop that that's all worth it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I would dig that. That would be a lot of fun. Give me that. Yeah. I definitely would like to see this full park someday. Do we have photos or anything? Is there anything out there of like, here's how things are looking for like the Hill of youth or uh, Dundoka forest. I've only seen concept artwork myself of a lot of things over time. I have mm. not looked to, to like even see if there's any photos of the of the progress. I don't think there has been much that was revealed. Okay, I'll have to look into that because I'm interested. Yeah, if you compare that to how like Nintendo in Osaka and Universal Studios Japan, how like the the Nintendo Land there was revealed, there wasn't like a there were, they they definitely showed some stuff in a video, but the whole experience wasn't really shown until. Like, you know, people started live streaming from there, and then, like, they actually got to see a lot more of what the setup was. So, yeah. in November. That's only four months away. <laughs> yeah, that's not very far. We could be enjoying all of that vicariously. Yes. Via photos and videos in the very not-too-distant future. But it's a cool thing to uh, add on to a trip. And sometimes you don't always go through Nagoya, but it is, like, a major stop on, like, the bullet train route. So... If you hmm. are passing through, uh, we mentioned this once on an episode of the podcast where there's a train museum down there 
And it's really sad that I can't remember the acronym for the train museum. <laughs> it's um, in Nagoya City. It's it's really cool. Um, but you can go down there and uh, visit that, make a big day trip, go over to the, the Ghibli area. That sounds like good. Hit up that Ghibli cafe, the Kodama cafe. That sounds like a good mm. time. Yeah, that seems like that would be a great stop to hit all that. Oh, you can yeah. make a full day of all that. Speaking of making a full day of stuff, our last story is adult field trips. So, oh. Randy, have oh, you... Oh, not, not like that. No, not like that. Okay, okay. I mean, maybe like that, if that's what you want it to be. I suppose. <laughs> I'm an adult. I'll do what I want. <laughs> I might have to toggle on the... Uh, special button for this episode um <laughs> randy i promise i won't make it weird okay randy have you ever heard of the annual school trips that kids go on in japan when you say that the first thing that comes to mind is uh the f- movie the film sorry the cinematic experience Tenchimuyo in love where they go <laughs> on a field trip to tokyo uh, to see a bunch of things. But then, unfortunately, uh, Tenchi's mom gets attacked by a space alien. So that's what I think about when I think about annual school trips that kids go to in Japan. But why don't you tell me uh, what you are picturing or what actually happens? Because I don't think it's like that. Is there a character in, in Tenchi and Ryoko? There sure is. Well, these trips are called... Technically, they're called Shugaku Ryoko. Um, well, Ryoko means travel, so that works. Very good. Thank you. Where uh, <laughs> long distance, so what they are, they're long distance trips to historical places like Nara or Kyoto or, or culturally re- relevant historical sites um, that young children go on and probably learn things, or maybe they get lost along the way. Who knows? Get attacked by aliens. Um, yeah, aliens. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> just like in the United States where uh, we, we don't really go on field trips as adults anymore, unless like you call a vacation a field trip, but it's not the mm. same thing. Um, Japan, it, it's pretty similar where once you're in that, that adult life, apparently you don't go on field trips. So <laughs> you're not going to go on a trip and have another adult there chaperoning you and telling you, no, you got to go over to the museum here. No, yeah. you can hold it till their next bathroom break. Now is the time to eat your sandwich. Like, (laughs) that's what you need. So there's this inn in Japan called Waku Horiyuji. (laughs) It's now offering a plan called Adult School Trip Plan with a visit to the famous Horiyuji Temple in Nara. Um, And you can basically just do a bunch of educational tasks like during the day on this field Mm. trip. And, like, you can shop at the hotel gift shop, which is apparently fancy. It's a luxury room. You can drink sake and eat a kaiseki dinner. That's not something students do. <laughs> no, it's not. You can't not. be drinking sake. Well, we don't know if they're drinking sake, but it's not likely. Well, it's probably not school approved, Jared. Yeah. Well, you know, there's probably a rule breaker <laughs> over there somewhere. That's true. <laughs> um but this is going on until July 15th, so it's nothing that like any of us are going to experience. But I thought this story was just kind of hilarious because it reminded me of school field trips that I used to go on, like to science museums, maybe mm-hmm. art museums, you know, going to the local river and staring at fish or something. Um, <laughs> Randy, where do you want to go if uh, you could go on an adult field trip? I mean, I, I have a hard time conceptualizing this because all I can think about it is just a vacation, but then I guess somebody else is going to be in charge of what happens. So, you know, I, I'd i be into it. I mean, that'd be a lot of 
stuff off of my shoulders because somebody else is probably planning it out. But I'm, I'm thinking back again on other field trips that I'd taken when I was younger. Like we went to like a nature reserve and like checking stuff out there. We went to the state capitol. We went to a theater to go see a play. And then there was our senior trip where we went to a different town to go like hang out, have dinner, go swimming. And uh, we didn't have sake, but I do remember one student who hollowed out his Xbox and put bottles of beer in it, so that way he could sneak it past the chaperones. <laughs> okay. Because that's why his Xbox red ring that time. So, <laughs> Well, it was the OG Xbox. This is pre-360 days, because I have an old man. Hmm. Uh, that's... That is... Those things were big. You could fit a lot of bottles of beer in those. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh... <laughs> I think the adult field trip that I'd want to go on is we went on something called Nature's Classroom, where for a week, we just stayed at like a cabin somewhere that had bunk beds. And we were split up into groups of students. And uh, it was on like the shore of a lake or something. So we would study on the beach. And then we would go do like group and confidence building tasks in the woods and i I remember there was like a rope swing and i was too scared to do it until i finally did it and all of that kind of stuff (laughs) but i don't really know if this differs much from like a a guided tour at like an art museum or something you know what i mean right yeah it kind of seems like it's it's mostly that but also i guess you sell it as a package so you get the luxury room <laughs> and all of the other things in there yeah. i get it that sounds fun i'd be down for it yeah now i just want to go do some of those things from my childhood again so <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> we're having our midlife crisis jared let's uh embrace that yeah well, we're almost there um, <laughs> yeah so there's no story from the tea house this time from uh, Camellia Tea House in Kyoto, but one of their recent posts did remind me of an article that I read over the last few weeks on our break about places that have disappeared from Japan because of COVID um, over the last few years. So the name of the article that Camellia wrote on their Twitter, which I do recommend to check out, is called The Lost Festival, um, which covers festivals and traditions that have stopped or been lost to time. So check out Camilla Tea House on Twitter to read the excellent writing and the pictures and like the whole post. Um, it's a, it's pretty long, but it has a lot of really cool and fascinating details of things that are lost to time. Hmm. The article that I was reminded of is actually from Gaijin Pot. Uh, and the name of it is Five Places in Japan You'll Never Get to Visit Again. And it was written by Matthew Coslett. So, It covers five places or experiences that had closed down from COVID. So I thought, Randy, what we would do is just read these um, and just talk about each one and then pick which one we would miss the most. Okay, sounds like a plan, even though I'm already bummed just from the concept, but I'll try to make it through without tears. It's one of those things, right? Um, Country that was completely closed off to foreign tourists for a couple of years and unfortunately some of those attractions or or locations just heavily relied upon tourists um Mm. so the first one listed here are some of the attractions at odaiba which is in tokyo uh it's it's a man-made island with shopping centers and attractions on it so something that did close down was team lab borderless which is a famous art exhibit and experience and there was another attraction there called uh, Edo Onsen, which is like a 
kind of like a mini theme park that had festival vibes. Uh, you'd walk around in Yukata and, and, and stuff like that. Hmm. And you could go into the baths and stuff. And it was modeled after the Edo era. Oh, fun. So there are still some things to do there. Uh, unfortunately, like the Gundam Front Cafe, I believe all of those are closed. And oh. I don't actually remember if the big Gundam is there anymore on Odaiba or they've replaced it with like three other ones. So anyways, uh, there was a <laughs> Sega arcade there and get your picture taken with Sonic. <laughs> Ooh, I hope that's, that's still that's, there. That's a destination I didn't want to get to again. And by again, I mean for the first time, but like hopefully it's around in the future. I think that it's okay to admit that you've always had an experience with Sonic that was like a destination <laughs> of being with Sonic. <laughs> of course. That's why I tried to love Sonic Forces, because you get to make your own character and you get to be best buddies with Sonic, and he wants to fist bump you. That's the fantasy made real. <laughs> it's funny. The uh, fantasy made real. Oh, man. Now I just want to go to the Final Fantasy Cafe. I hope that's opened um, mm. still. So, anyways, uh, there was. Enough- I hope they have hot dogs because Zell loved hot dogs in oh Final Fantasy VIII. There were like themed <laughs> potion drinks and stuff, but yes. Mm. Uh, one place that did close that was a cafe. It was the famous Kawaii Monster Cafe, where there were like cute, colorful monster themes. Um, it closed like due to lack of tourists Mm. and it did close after the Gundam cafe. And then also like the robot restaurant, which is a famous like underground restaurant with these crazy looking robots. It's a big show that also Hmm. one day just kind of up and stopped. I don't know if that'll come back. Um, but Kawaii monster cafe was definitely a tourist heavy thing. Then that that's gone. Um, yeah, Randy, I'm not sure if you ever heard of any of the cafes over there, like the cat cafes and the, the owl cafe, the, there's a few others, mm-hmm. like the Butler Cafe, Swallowtail. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think I've heard of these in specific, but of course I've heard of, you know, Butler Cafes and Cat Cafes and the like, but yeah. in well, specific, no. This one was just like people dressed up in crazy outfits and there's a bunch of like, I don't know, like monsters and puppets and stuff or it looked like um, in the <laughs> background. All right. Next one. The Sega Akihabara 2 Arcade closed, among other mm. famous arcade locations due to the pandemic, lack of tourists, and high lease renewals. The Sega Arcade did reopen in another location, <gasps> which is great, but the, the iconic one in Akihabara, like the big red building, that, that one is closed. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> yeah, big time. I'll hopefully, we've, you know over the years have amassed a large amount of photos and things so that we can pour over those and, and remember what, what could have been. Yeah. So one of the YouTubers that I follow and really enjoy, uh, Tokyo lens, uh, and, uh, Norm is the person who runs that channel. So Tokyo lens has a great video featuring the final days of the Sega arcade before it closed. So, mm. um, I highly recommend checking that out. Will do. Um, there's still other things to do in Akihabara, but it's definitely changing a lot. Tourism really affected it. There was a lot of stores open where a lot of cool video game and uh, anime stores. So I think some of that slimmed down a little bit, but I think the main staples mm-hmm. are still there. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Another famous one is the Nakagin Capsule Tower. So what this is, is it's like a famous architectural building in Tokyo that was finally dismantled um, very recently. It consisted of small replaceable pods 
that just never got replaced over time. So they started to break down. Mm. And basically these towers were built in like such a way where if you wanted to replace the capsule on the bottom, you had to take all of the ones on top of it. Oh. Uh, yeah, but they were all modeled very specifically. It was a really interesting looking building. It made it into different pieces of pop culture. Apparently it made it into a Wolverine movie. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> uh, yes. I know that. <laughs> the Wolverine, because I believe they a lot of that movie takes place in Japan. Uh, as of now, some of the capsules are going to be placed in museums. And cool. just like before, with a little recommendation for some YouTube, uh, check out Chris Broad's Abroad in Japan video on the tower because he got a good look inside and like did an interview with someone who was still living there before it got dismantled. Um, mm. Also, if you go to our Japan Logging Club Twitter, uh, you can see a story that I shared from the Associated Press writer uh, Yuri Kageyama. And it was a really good written story about the tower. Mm. And... The last one that was listed here is about a famous artist, so named Yayoi Kusama, who had these famous pumpkin like art installations on the island Naoshima, where there was a large yellow pumpkin that was picked up by a typhoon and it was broken. So oh. there is another massive pumpkin art installation there, but the the yellow one, which was like it was like a highly advertised like destination art piece so you would see this picture all over sometimes that thing is just beyond repair so they're trying to figure out what to do um the artist is apparently now in their 90s so they're Uh yeah they're consulting with them on what to do but uh that kind of sucks that you know weather and mother nature took that and destroyed it right so out of these randy between attractions on odaiba the Kawaii Monster Cafe, the Sega Akihabara 2 Famous Arcade, the Nakagin mm-hmm. Capsule Tower, and the art installation on Naoshima. Uh, what do you think was the one that you, you would miss most from never like, being able to see or not be able to see again? It's gotta be Sega Akihabara 2. That would be... That would have been nice. You know, I'm just a big video game nerd, so something like that definitely appeals to me. And I can't tell you how long it's been since I've been in a an arcade sort of environment. So I think that would be totally wild. And it's a bummer that I won't be able to enjoy the the classic version, as so as you would put it. Yeah, it's definitely the the mood and the tone of that video on Tokyo Lens about the arcade closing was was pretty interesting just to witness, like in the video, and how there was so much high energy still. You know, they closed the doors at night and there was a crowd of people there that were kind of clapping for all the staff and everybody. And then like within a week later or something, it was announced that they were moving to another location. I can't quite remember if it was an Akihabara or an Ikebukuro or what that was about. Or maybe there's like another arcade over in Ikebukuro in Tokyo that was opened or it's just like another famous one you can go to. So there are still arcades to visit. Um, they're definitely like an amazing experience if you've never been to one. Uh, it just sucks mm-hmm. that like the big red iconic one with like the cool stairs. Like you can see the windows were shaped a very specific way. Um, it sucks that that one's gone. Yeah, for sure. What about you? What's your choice? I think that... So I have been to that Akihabara arcade 
And there's another one like right across the street. So I can't remember which one I spent more time in. <laughs> so if the, I'm not going to keep that one like on, on my list because I think I'm pretty much okay with Akihabara at this point. I've been there twice. And I think if you haven't been there, definitely recommend it to check it out. But the Team Lab Borderless Art Exhibit uh, on Odaiba, that closing is pretty sad. Although my understanding is that they are reopening the exhibit at like a different location and it's just going to be closed for a certain period of time. So, okay. Yeah. Um, it's very like well known for like how interactive the exhibits are and like what you walk through. Some people say it like literally walking through like another world. A lot of lights are used in a very specific way. Things kind of like dangling down from the ceiling, um, as you walk through. So that had uh, a lot of cool vibes to it. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking that Team Lab Borderless for like what was there, I, I kind of miss, uh, I kind of would miss that probably the most. Yeah, could understand that. So this article only covers so much. Um, there are other, you know, like attractions that have changed or have closed down because of COVID. We mentioned a few, like the the Robot Cafe. That thing was very tourist heavy but very unique experience. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, there's just, there's some stuff, uh, you know, the Nakagin capsule tower. It's not like you were able to like really go into it much unless maybe you scheduled something ahead of time. Um, so all you could really do is go witness the tower from like, you know, a city street. So they're not really like a whole lot that you'd be missing there, except for if you're like a huge fan of architecture that it did stand out in a city that was more modernized, but this thing survived for quite a while. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it for the uh, the five places in Japan you'll never get to visit again. So um, check out that article. There's some pictures along with it, some extra writing that, uh, that the author, again, Matthew Coslett did. And that pretty much sums it up for this episode, Randy. Thank you so much for, for joining along. Um, it's really appreciated. Oh, yeah. No problem. Happy to be here and spend some time with my main man, Jared. Oh, yeah. So... To everyone out there, send us your questions and your travel stories to longingclub at gmail.com or message us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at longingclub. Randy, where can we find you on the internet? You can mostly find me on places like Twitter at saber underscore breaker. What about you, Jared? You can find me on Twitter at hot anime vlogger. And you can look for the Japan Login Club podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. And as they say, John A., and have a good day. Later. Later.